You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin. My guests on today's episode of Talking Taiwan are Christina Wong and Valerie So. They are back to talk about the anti-sewing squad. When they were here last on episode 75, the anti-sewing squad was about two months old. For those of you who don't know, here from the anti-sewing squad's website is what they've accomplished in the last nine months. The Anti-Sewing Squad was founded on March 24, 2020 by performance artist and comedian Christina Wong as a casual effort to connect with other friends sewing homemade masks for essential workers due to the federal government's failure to prepare them with proper personal protective equipment. Anti-Sewing Squad has been featured on CNN, NBC, KCRW, Washington Post, Good Morning America, and many more. We Go Down Sewing, a cross between an anthology, memoir, and a visual record of the work of the Anti-Sewing Squad, will be published in fall 2021 by University of California Press. The Antis also collaborated with the Coronas Quartet on the film Radical Care, the Anti-Sewing Squad, which uses music by Coronas and testimony and footage provided by the Antis. We are a college course at San Francisco State University. We also have hosted two rounds of an online summer mask sewing camp for kids. Our relationship with various First Nations has extended to include fundraising and sending them sewing and relief supplies. We have sent several vans filled with sewing and hygiene supplies to the Seamstresses United Navajo and Hopi Nation for distribution throughout reservations. Is there anything that these aunties don't do? And you guys are still here. The anti-sewing squad's still going strong. How are you doing? Oh my God, my, my new job. <laughs> my my new old job. I think I'm okay. I I at least I actually. It's it's still a ton of work, but the franticness is not as uh, as apparent as it was the first few months of this. I mean, I literally like my whole body felt like it was held hostage to the uh, trying to do this, and it, um, and now I actually haven't touched my sewing machine at all in. Uh, months but i'm mostly dealing with like bigger long-range stuff that i feel like ceos have to do <laughs> wow that's so planned it's so crazy i don't know how are you valerie's just eating cookies <laughs> yeah um <laughs> i feel like i feel like we've like weirdly enough set up some sort of like institutional structure that is running pretty smoothly so um as opposed to the very beginning we were just we were just kind of making it up as we went along um so you know there's definitely like a delegation of tasks which is working out pretty well i feel like it's it's pretty successful and there's you know some people have stopped sewing who were sewing in the beginning and then but but new people have come on who are so enthusiastic so it's not like there's like a slackening off in the the output of the masks it's just like a different different groups of people have cycled through right so Right, we yeah. have absorbed a lot of people from other sewing groups that have closed. Oh. Um, and, they, and the groups have closed for different reasons. Either they were, you know, just sewing for hospital workers and they felt like they did their job. Interestingly enough, we absorbed a lot of uh, aunties of color who basically were like, the sewing group in my, in my region, uh, they don't want to sew for BLM. They don't understand, like, they, they seem to, like, not want to talk about politics. So they basically had to leave their apolitical groups. Um, and then we just have folks who just heard about us and wanted to get into sewing and just discovered it. And we're like, great, help. <laughs> yeah. Because at this point, we're just like, <laughs> we cycle through. We've seen the sewing aunties become caring aunties uh, or cheerleader aunties, you know. And so, uh, yeah, we have definitely have this whole life cycle that has happened within the group. Yeah, and I mean, we're definitely very political, so it's not like um, we're just doing this for fun. (laughs) And honestly, that wasn't, like, this was not supposed to be that political at the top of this. Like, to me, it was uh, all health matters, masks for everybody, you know, we're only as strong as your weakest link, but the evolution of what masks have become it has become quite political that that yeah i'm sorry you hear a dog crying in the background but um <laughs> it's a metaphor for this whole situation but yeah but yeah we just found ourselves you know going from 
uh, just making masks for who, whoever seemed to need it, which was everybody, to now really <laughs> filling the hole that has left been behind by systemic racism and oppression and um, and and basically choosing to support communities that have long since been forgotten by the federal government. So right. that's it. First Nations, incarcerated communities, very poor communities of color, yeah. migrants at the border. I mean, these are already communities that are just sort of political by their nature of existing. Right. Um, so, so, so yeah, here we are. Like, <laughs> like the red election was actually quite interesting because yeah. um, we just have aunties just... I don't know how do you want to describe it, Valerie? But like, our like we're just we're just so this is so political to them to, to do this sewing. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's just like that's bringing out the radical in people, or like the radicals are coming to us. <laughs> but whatever it is, I mean, I feel like there's a unified vision in the group, and you know, you don't have to be like like totally like an activist type person to to be involved, but it doesn't hurt if you are. I think. <laughs> Well, I think to your credit, like, I think, like, one of the things that really makes it very um, unifying and clear what you guys are about are your core values, right? Because you have very yeah. clearly written out core values. And I was just curious, like, how did that come about? Like, who wrote that and how long, like, who had the foresight to do that? Because I think that helped. Yeah, I wrote it with uh, Amy Tofty, who's sort of like my VP, my second in command. And it was because we kind of got to the point where too many people were writing us as if we were like a like a I, I just I just had a few requests that that just made me just really angry because I, I began to feel like people weren't understanding the value of like I, it was already something that was apparent from the beginning that people weren't understanding the value of this labor that that because we do it for free doesn't mean like there was um, a couple of situations where people were asking us to sew their promotional masks for when they reopen. And I'm like, that's not what we're about. And, and, uh, and they were trying to be helpful about it. They were like, Oh, we figured that you could use this money, you know, for the Navajo nation. It's like, we already get this money, like from people who don't want anything in return. And I, and I just really hated the idea of running anything close to a store or Tom's model where, and some sewing groups do have to do that because they, they haven't been able to fundraise the way we have. But like, I just was like, I didn't like the idea that that people would talk to us as if there was a model of capitalism um, because for us, like the most valuable thing, isn't the money. Like the money actually has been for the, the easiest part. The hardest part has been the labor and organizing the labor and then organizing the asks. And, and we don't, we don't want to, we want to go out of business. We don't want to be here forever. We've been saying this from yeah. the beginning. We want to retire. Um, and so we had to put out some core values to make clear, like, so that folks knew how to approach us for our labor. Uh, and did it like, and, and I think now my role as the overlord has been as much as I joke that I cut off people's fingers and will eat their babies uh, if they don't sew faster. It's so much about trying to protect our labor yeah. and, and, pro and protect the labor of the aunties um, because there is this tendency to kind of assume that things uh, that, that just because the aunties are willing to sew masks that we shouldn't, we shouldn't value that work. Uh, and one example I had was, was basically someone from like um, a nursing home wrote, and I was like, this is the way we do it. You tell us what is happening at your, you know, in your community. We put the ask out to the aunties and they decide if it's worth their time to stay up through the night and sew masks. And uh, the woman uh, who wrote me back said, oh, I don't want anyone to stay up all night to sew for us. And I'm like, how do you think these get made? Right. Like, I, th I think there's like a disconnect still for people that they. Sorry about that beeping. <laughs> but I, I, was, I feel like there's this put your seatbelt on and it will stop beeping. Um, OK, great. So just one night I would just like, ah, we have to write a core value statement. And I was like, this is so crazy because it's like started as a casual effort. Now we have all the things that a big organization has but you know it has helped um i think us have a very unifying work ethic and it's helped kind of i don't want to say machine because there's too much heart in us to be a machine but i think it has helped us um have as uh, have the be the sort of engine that we are and, and i do think that the engine really comes down to care care is the is the capital that we share our care is in the form of time our, our bodies that are put into making these masks, um, 
and 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 so it's i think like valuing each other and our labor and supporting each other in this time as opposed to like keep sewing keep sewing keep sewing and then just no one knows where their mask went off to and then we're not social and like it's like what, what is the incentive of being part of a group like that like eight months later uh-huh. so that is what I'm so proud of is that sort of radical sense of care that we yeah. built in our system. And as you said, your goal is not to incorporate or become a not-for-profit, but now you do have a fiscal uh, sponsor, right? Art to Action and yes. taxable deductions through them. Can you tell me a little bit about Art to Action and how the partnership happened? Yeah, so Art to Action is actually a performing arts presenter. Um, Andrea Asaf is the artistic and executive director of that group. It's basically a one-person nonprofit. Uh, she's based out of Tampa, Florida, and I got on the phone with her because she was actually talking to me about some other performance she wanted to curate me in. And um, the thing is, what they are doing that is so generous is they are waiving all fiscal sponsor fees. So sometimes, like if you're lucky... Um, and you use the fiscal sponsor, they sometimes take up to like as little as 3%, but sometimes up to 10 to 12%. Wow. And, and Andrea has completely waived those fees. So that is huge in terms of what we are able to do to maximize donations. And she, and she's doing a lot of labor in terms of like, you know, keeping track of our donations and stuff like, like that for us and, and helping write receipts and things like that for folks who make donations. So, um, you know, and, and she just was like, I don't sew. I want to support. I love the work you're doing. And it is literally art to action, right? It's like our sewing, literally doing the work of first responding and mutual aid. So it actually made sense and it was a great fit. And I'm, I'm really grateful like that this um, Auntie Sewing Squad is proof that artists can really step up in this moment, both as folks who are actually using the craft of sewing to make this stuff, but also that the structures that we've had in place, whether it's our theater companies, our grant writing skills that we used to do for other things, our storytelling um, for Valerie, her filmmaking, like have all found ways to contribute towards this very interdisciplinary project and, and its success. Right. Um, but it's yeah. also, again, a completely unnecessary thing that the government could have better prepared us for mm-hmm. uh, so that we wouldn't be in the situation where we're literally still sowing protection for human beings in this country who are susceptible to the virus who don't have protection otherwise. Oh, I was just going to say that this whole thing, like Christina was saying, is just plugging people in where they to the best of their abilities. So it's not just like if you can't sow, you can't help out. You know, um, so it's really not trying to, uh, you know, like some people don't, I can't sew this, so they bake or some people can't bake, so they make t-shirts. So it's all, it's also awesome. Or some people can't make t-shirts, so they are a physical sponsor, right? Or some people have, know how to do like online Reiki um, yes. sessions <laughs> um, or do yoga. It's, so it's all, it does yoga, like yeah. meditation classes that yeah. are free for aunties to attend, which is so important for our yeah. health. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. And, you know, so it's, it's just like wherever you can plug yourself in, it's, it's welcome. It's not like it's a limited to like a certain ableness that you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I also want to talk to you about some of the creative offshoots. Like, um, Valerie, you worked on a short mm-hmm. film about the anti-sewing squad. Can you talk a little, little bit about Yeah. Well, you know, I think the last time I talked to you, I might have already made one of the short movies, the little documentary that was like two minutes just about like using the lanyards, the festival lanyards for masks. Yes. So since then, we have made this longer, much more epic piece that is eight minutes long. <laughs> so it's four minutes long. Um which was, we were got uh, kind of hooked up through um, Rebecca Soldnet, who's one of our, our writer, historian, famous person auntie. We call she, her the historian writer shakedown auntie. Shakedown auntie, yes, because she I, has like 5,000 followers. Yes. She's, got, she's got a lot of followers on Facebook. She puts and an ask out and boom, 200 jackets are sent to yeah. the Lakota kids, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Like she, and, and she basically scored this donation she's from an unnamed donor recently to today of... Um, ski clothing uh, uh, for her. so her her partner and the and uh, some folks went down to pack up 400 oh, uh, ski, ski, ski jackets for, oh, for Lakota youth wow and Valerie was eating cookies oh yeah to each their own were, I actually have eaten all my cookies I'm gonna have to bake my own cookies Valerie <laughs> said something funny at the top of this like it was something about homesteading it was like in our homesteading code language you were like to each their own role or do you remember oh, what you said? that's like that's actually like a like a communist like, thing it's like it's borrowed from yeah so it's borrowed from like <laughs> communist language what is it and yeah, labor at the top shit. you said 
it's it, their own role. No, there's something. There. Wait, I'm going to actually look up the exact quote because it's a pretty famous quote. It's something Because about, we were just feeling like such a crazy people factory. Like, what has happened that we've become laborers in this sense? And, and I recognize it came from something old school and probably not. Okay. <laughs> I found it. It is from Karl Marx. Yes. <laughs> from each according to their ability to each according to their needs. Yes. So that was like the quote that like Val threw out at the beginning of all this because it really felt like we had become this strange labor camp where yeah. we were like, we, you know, and that was sort of the humor of the group, right? Is that mm-hmm. we're a cult or we're a child labor uh, camp or we're exploiting children or, we're, you know. Uh, all right but it's all voluntary people get to choose how much they want to be exploited so we're not we're not like you know compelling people to be and hello i am the most charismatic and fun (laughs) call leader you will ever have so come Uh, you can have online reiki sessions yes (laughs) okay yeah but so going back to the film the radical care squad yeah um you're talking about that valerie yeah, so anyway, the background, if you're going to be doing a, a video, an audio clip, of, I mean, a video clip of this, you can see the background is from the film, and it was um, Kronos hooked, got hooked up with by Rebecca Solnit. She contacted me because I knew I made movies, because <laughs> I've known her for a long time. Mm-hmm. And Kronos had a project they were looking for someone to collaborate with that had to do with, like, social activism. So they had a piece, they picked out a piece, which is by Susie Ibarra, who's a Filipino uh, composer back in the arc. And they performed it. You know, they had already performed it and recorded it. So then we edited it, our clip to it. And what I did was I just, it was all um, crowdsourced. So the aunties sent me clips. I, I sent out a call to the aunties and they sent me clips of themselves sewing, themselves cooking, themselves cutting fabric, themselves going to the fabric store, you know, all those things that the little steps that it takes, ironing. Um, and then we kind of tied it into the idea of why we do it. Like, you know, the idea of rage sewing <laughs> and um, also just the fact that like Christina has said, the government has failed us. The U S government's failed us. And we had to step in, in this really ad hoc kind of way. Um, and it was really great because I got so many clips and so much footage and so many photos from people that, it, you know, I was able to really successfully put together a, a whole bunch of fun images to this, this track. And then the, the other thing that we did that was really fun is Laura Carlin is a choreographer in the group. She's a caring auntie. Is she a caring auntie? What is her no, title? She's a su- well, she's a super, she's a super auntie. auntie. Yeah, she's a super and she, auntie. She runs a dance company called Invertigo, yeah. and she has a one a now, what was a six-month-old? Now it's one-year-old <laughs> baby. She's and one so she, now? So she was our first caring auntie in the oh sense that she wanted to support us, but she was like, I, I just can't do it yeah. with all this stuff. And uh, can I can I make you some hand salve? And uh, a very nice hand and, salve. And that was the first offering. And I was yeah. like, yeah, why not? Like, everyone's exhausted. Yeah, I think they would love a little gift like that. And and then that sort of helped us think about how we could care for each other. Because I knew we were all going to burn out and kill each other. Or everyone would <laughs> kill me if we kept going at the pace we were going yeah. at. Yeah. So Laura did this great choreography in, co- in collaboration with the aunties all on Zoom. Which you can, if again, you know, if you see the clip, yeah. this is part of it. Mm-hmm. that we it's like mimicking sewing gestures and then you know like defiance and strength and, and all this cool stuff and so that's in the clip too um and it's eight minutes long and it's played at a few film festivals already it played at ucla at the tune in festival as part of Cronus's performance oh. there because they've been really wonderful and we give that we gave them masks Oh, that's awesome. uh, and they have been wearing them in their a lot of their online performances, the one at UCLA as well as at Stanford. Yeah. And so it's kind of fun. I like to see, oh my, it's like, oh my God, there's our mask that, that we made for them. Um, one thing that's interesting about uh, the masks that we give out is a lot of times we don't get to see them on people's faces because a lot of the people we give them to are like from these vulnerable communities that maybe are not real comfortable with, with taking pictures of themselves, you know, like farm workers who might not be documented or people who just got out of prison, you know, uh, refugees and so forth. So for me personally, it's just a treat. Anytime I see someone actually wearing a mask from 
us. And we get, we're getting pretty good at spotting it. Like, I think there, someone yeah, saw we, we us spot them on uh, cap, newspaper right? articles. Yeah. Newspaper this, articles. Yeah. Uh, Rosalind just spotted a, a, a scrub cap. Yeah. Uh, on a nurse in an in LA Times. And I think another auntie spotted, it was like a, a documented um, protest rally. Right. Spotted, yeah, yeah. spotted her face. She was like, I think that's my mask. <laughs> yeah. There was a, there was a teen protester in the, at Mission High School here in San Francisco who had her on her mask. Oh, uh, I think there was one in the homies uh, group in Oakland, like this group that serves like uh, young people of color that we've been given a bunch of masks to. And I think it only meant by like in a half a second and people were going, I think I made that one. Wait, is that one of mine? So, so yeah. Like, somewhere people can cur- currently see the film or they have to, like, is there, is it film festival right now? It's still going to film festivals. It's not in any of currently, um, but, you know, we, we usually update on our um, fan page on Facebook as well as on Instagram. And where else do we update, Christina? That's it, right? Not the uh, web page necessarily. Fan page. We have our Sewing Squad. Yeah. Com, Instagram and Facebook. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Put it on we don't have a Twitter yet. I don't know why. We do have a YouTube. Yeah. We oh, do that's right. We do have a YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, we do the, have a YouTube. It's funny because some of the aunties aren't even kept up with it. Rosalind didn't even know we had a website yet. She maintains our YouTube. It's funny like it's, that. It's hard for middle-aged ladies to keep up on all these platforms. <laughs> So you you guys have gotten like a lot of press also like um what what was the first major national coverage that you got and like can you talk about that how it happened what was it like Christina it all happened at once um and it was it was got to the point that I was getting really spoiled by how like at one point Rachel Ray contacted us and I and needed like an exclusive uh, like that we we couldn't do the View or any other morning show. And I was like, I'll have to think about that because I really did because we'd, we'd have to be, and now she won't call us back. But um, the point is she asked, but it was like a flurry of it. I can just name it all. It was CNN. Yeah, like over the summer, right? It, because basically one article, this is what we learned about the news. is like one big press thing spawns a bunch of other press things. So it was USA Today, um, uh, CNN, Time Magazine, Good Morning America, NBC did a written article. What else was there? There's a few more. KCRW, Press Play did it. Um, Who are the ones that just get, ask you the one question? Is that Good Morning America? Good morning, America. That was hilarious. <laughs> that was that sucked because they they cut it off right after. Because um, I they I had rehearsed and rehearsed with them the the answers for these four questions, and oh. and it cut off right when I said. Um, so I said, if you're immunocompromised, I'll make you a mask. But there's more <laughs> to that story, which is we don't do that anymore. We work with organizations. So like immediately I checked our fan page and it was like all these very like desperate messages from people who say they're immunocompromised, needing masks and asking to buy masks. And we're just like, oh my God, this is not, you know, this is why we have our core values written down so yeah. that we stop getting approached this way. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, the press thing is kind of a double-edged sword. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it gets us more people who want to sew sometimes, but it also gets a lot of people who, who um, are not clear on what it is we do, and then they get kind of pissed off when we say, well, we can't make you a mask. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> We're not we going to sell you a mask. Sorry. We have a bouncer on TV, right? Um, <laughs> and and the reason why we have her is because we, we needed to begin to vet people. Like, uh, we were getting kind of um, folks who didn't know what a group was about and try to sell us things or or you know just just weren't aligned or would just come in and be like can can i order a mask and we'd just be like go away like we'd all because we all get angry again and then we're all fucking stressed out and um so the bouncer auntie like every time a big press thing would run mandy she'd be like okay because basically we, we would get like flooded with requests to join so we had to do a separate um fan page and just start to kick our fans out onto it because you know it's like it's it's nice to have support but when we're trying to get work done it's like having a hundred people going yay yeah yay like really yeah we're, we're more interested in posting about like who's got the right kind of elastic and yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing what happens when your bobbin gets messed up so was that the only yeah. um so you had the good morning america or is there others Oh, we had Casey. Um, I can. There's just, a list on the website. There's a actually, whole list. There's a whole list. Yeah. It's a big ass list. I too. honestly, I'm so jaded, Felicia, that I don't even know. <laughs> 
what all our press is, and I'm going to pull it up right now. But it did seem like, like in Washington the summer, Post. Like, that was the other one. Washington Post. But there was Washington a ton of them, Post. like in the summer, right? Like in June and July, wasn't there? It's all like the same two weeks, and I was yeah. like, okay, another one. Because they're just like not very imaginative, and so they just follow whatever someone else posts. Yeah. So, Casey I mean, that is so true. Yeah, of mainstream a lot of media. Sorry, I'm dissing mainstream media. Yeah. 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 Spectrum, but that was most of it. And just wondering if you said you're jaded in what sense, like, do you think that, like, what do you see the value in it? Or you just think you No, I see the value in it. But we were, um, I, I, I was just like, we began to have to think like, now that we're getting this much press, what do we want to turn it towards? Right. And what and, and how do we want to be clear about what the narrative is? And for me, it was like, okay, and some of the aunties, like two of our aunties in Florida got interviewed with the local news. And it was just like, we kind of just want to make clear like some of the aunties just will make masks for whoever in their neighborhood wants it. Um, that's not really, they shouldn't be dragging the rest of us into that. <laughs> you know, if it's just like someone who lives in a house and is comfortable. Mm. Uh, but, but we just want to make sure that, you know, the messaging should keep coming back to um, that. We're doing this for communities who are made vulnerable because of systemic racism. We're doing this because the government has failed us um, and to kind of move away from the happy hobbyist woman narrative who just has all the time in the world to give away for free um yeah actually i want to i want to say something about that because somebody yeah. published um an academic article about mask sewing groups sorry <laughs> <laughs> anyway so she she made this um this theory saying that the people who are sewing masks are hobbyists who have a lot of spare time and they're not really, you know, they're just like ladies who have, you know, ladies who lunch basically, but we're ladies yeah. who sew. And that was like we're bullshit not. because we're not. I mean, I was so pissed about that because we're not, you know, I mean, I have a fucking full-time job, excuse my French. Everybody else has a full-time job and we're not doing yeah. this just because we want to like make pretty shit to sell on Etsy. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm cursing. Yeah, we were again. like in the same paragraph. You're going to have to bleep the where I said No, I think we always curse. Yeah, that was kind of insulting. Right. Yeah. Because yeah, she yeah. didn't clearly didn't do any research into what we personally were about. I mean, you know, maybe the other Etsy ladies are about that, but you know, we're not. And so. And, and I wanted to make clear, we're not a free Etsy. We're not here because nah. we just love doing this invisible labor. And I mean, the sort of joke of the auntie is is that we are, you know, these women who care. Of course, we care, but but we we want to keep pointing to the fact for why we have to do this. Yeah. Right. It's like um, filling a need that is is desperately, you know, there. Yeah. And like Christina said, it would be really great if we didn't have to. Mm -hmm. So um, it's not for our own ego gratification. <laughs> so that was hard with Good Morning America because they, they did a, a bunch of pre-interviews with me. And I was like, and, and like I was talking about genocide and First Nations and, and they kept going... <laughs> You can't say that on morning uh, TV, and I was like, "God damn it!" Well, maybe like, you should you know, be able to. Yeah. I know. So it's like, why can't I talk about genocide on morning TV? Like, is, is someone really going to faint if I talk about genocide? Come on. <laughs> but anyway, so <laughs> I mean, so, so when I say I'm jaded, I'm like, I'm trying to figure also out like, how can we do this so that it's not, it doesn't just perpetuate this idea that of the of sort of the sweet granny that is just so bored that she's doing yeah. this, but that this is, is quite revolutionary. And we understand what, that, that us picking up the slack of the government is, is really political. And, and that it is remarkable that a group of, uh, what is still mostly Asian American women is doing this labor. Mm. Yeah. I've tried to explain what we do to people. Like when I talk to them in Hong Kong and they're just like, they can't even grasp wow. why we would have to do this. Right. It's like, what do you mean? Like the government is not giving you yeah. where they won't let people wear masks and people now think this is like the political statement. What are you talking about? That is insane. Right. So, <laughs> and then, you know, of course, same thing in Taiwan. It's like, yeah. what do you mean? You, you know, people are resisting wearing masks because they feel like it infringes on their freedom. What does that have to do with yeah. anything? You know, so it's been, it's kind of gotten in some ways kind of worse even than the last time we talked to you because it has become so politicized because of our miserable, the shit in the White House who's going to be out of there in like a month or so, thank God. Um, because, you know, I mean, it's so cynical and venal to manipulate a public health issue into a political issue like that and to make it something that you know, doesn't really have anything to do with anything. The basic thing is if you wear a mask, it helps people not get sick. You know, yeah. it's not like if you wear a mask, you're just making a political statement. So, <sighs> so that's, that's another thing that just drives me too. as you can tell, I'm a little bit, a little bit hot about this. <laughs> I mean, what, <laughs> it's 
gonna you know a year can come very soon like what do you think you are you if you guys are still doing this in a year's time oh in march uh, in march on our anniversary what are we gonna do christine how anti-celebration <laughs> oh i i just realized we missed our seventh or eighth month anniversary uh, every 24th of the month i wish the auntie's a oh do you uh, anniversary well, yeah. it's okay because it. anyway it's a holiday maybe you could just say it anyway yeah um well you know i we we we've found that in supporting these communities there were other things they needed so we did a coat drive mm-hmm. for Lakota yeah. folks and uh and then our friends at the Navajo Nation were like well we could use some stuff too and so we I don't think we ever want to do this again but collecting used clothing I want to just make a big broad announcement to the world when you see used clothing drive it's not a chance for you to dump the crap that has holes in it <laughs> and, with holes and period stains like don't do that <laughs> underwear <laughs> Like, it really needs to be new or like new because you're just creating more work for the person on the other end. And if they're asking specifically for winter wear, don't drop off jeans or, or like suits. a sweatshirt. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we actually found yeah. that because we were so embarrassed when um, our contact in Black Hills was like, I'm getting a lot of used musty clothes with tissue in the pocket and we don't really have the capacity to go through this. We were so embarrassed that Amy was like, all right, I'm going to just like start asking aunties to buy new jackets and and we did it we ended up yeah. sending hundreds with rebecca did a call out we all did calls out like yeah and you can unfortunately because of sweatshops you can get relatively cheap uh winter coats for kids so we found like a 35 dollar link for coats and just um had people buy from that and ship directly and and it was quite successful they have it's had like i want to say like close to 400 jackets at least um brand new sent oh, over there awesome so uh so now we're gonna do the same um it gets uh even though you know we don't think of arizona and new mexico as being very cold um there are folks who don't have like beanies and stuff yeah. like that so we're gonna so i think anything around textiles and care is something close to what we can do there sometimes aunties you know kind of muse about what we'll do years from now or if we'll start a you know, become a this that does this and that. And I go, I can't even think that far. I do think we're an amazing network and I want to figure out ways that we can preserve that. I know when our book comes out, um, my sort of dream is that we'll have book tours and every groups of aunties in each region will be at that book tour and sign their, sign the book and they meet each other. And um, yeah, I was going to say that's another crowdsource project too, where most of the book is, you know, there's like written essays that are longer, but most of the other little clips and, and images and written stuff is all from the aunties themselves. So I don't Do you know, Christina, how many people submitted stuff? A lot, No idea. Right? Yeah. But, yeah. yeah we, I like, believe our friendships, um, you know, the, the way we bonded through each other, like, like I thought it was so sweet yesterday. Valerie posted, like, post your Thanksgiving meals, <laughs> and everyone posted, and it's, like, it was uh, so sweet. Like, we are yeah. this weird family, and yet we, some of us will never get to meet each other in person, but we are connected through this very generous heart that we have, all shared in these efforts that we've, that we couldn't have done if not for our collective power. Yeah. How did that book deal? Um, we go down sewing. How did that come about? I think it was another Rebecca thing, right? Rebecca Solnit originally got approached or maybe approached UC press. Cause she, she loves the anti sewing squad with her entire soul and being. And so she, she, you know, she has clout at UC Press because that's one of her presses. And so she proposed kind of very generally, let's do a book somehow about this. And, you know, so then after several rounds of discussing it, we figured out the shape of it and we got like, you know, editors to work on it. They're aunties. We, um, we have amazing academic aunties, academic, who already, yeah, academic aunties whose yeah. work is already like totally intersects with this. Chrissy yeah. Lau, who, who does um, Asian American women's history. Yeah. Uh, Maylin Hong, who does critical refugee studies. She actually interviewed Van, who um, we named one of our mm-hmm. patterns after, and he he was incarcerated Van for about Wynn. 25 years. Van Wynn, and he was incarcerated for about 25 years. So he was a juvenile lifer, and he actually was um, put in the ICE detention center that we sent masks to. So, like, it's an amazing kind of connection. Yeah. And Preeti, to labor to Preeti work. Sharma and, and writes Preeti about labor. Transnational she, labor. Yeah. So, it's amazing. Uh, so, you know, what a perfect group. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that we already we already had the editing talent in the group um, who understood how this book could fit into the discourse of history. And, yeah. And, uh, and I remember saying this at the beginning of this, like, if civilization makes it past this, 
and there's a museum one day about COVID. I just want a little mention of our labor. Like if, if we just get forgotten, this effort gets forgotten, that would be really sad to me that, that you know, that someone else was lauded the hero. And here we are. And I'm not saying make us the heroes, but I do think it's significant to understand how much Asian American women labor has gone into this and how it ties into our history. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, because it is such a hidden history, you know, and I think, like, there's another person who, a lot of people, actually, their moms are seamstresses. I think we talked about this before. Their moms are seamstresses, and they learned to sew. Van learned to sew, I think, from his family, too, or maybe in jail. I'm not sure which. One or the other. Both. Both. (laughs) Van told me this crazy story, and I was like, please get this on, like, so in prison, (laughs) they have to tailor their own clothes, but it's not like they have a needle, so he'd find like a paper clip and he said he'd spend four hours sanding it into the floor so it was pointy. Oh. Then he would locate a hole in there. I don't, I think he would how do you describe it? He would, it, it's, it's like a notch. Whoa. Around okay. the side. But I mean it's intense. Yeah. Oh. Like I want to do a whole, whole sit down with Van, like how did you sew in prison? Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> the interview band. We are now working on a full-length documentary about the aunties for the same kind of reason that we're amazing. Yes, you are doing it. Yeah, yes. supposedly. I'm the one who's like writing all the grants. So, um, because again, we just want to be sure we like kind of preserve this history because it's, because it is kind of very like you know fleeting and it goes. It's been going so fast, and um, so to kind of just get take try to take a snapshot of this group as it's happening. Is, is super important, I think. Because yeah. it does, I think it relates a lot to like what happened in this country in 20, 2022 and like what happened with COVID mm-hmm. in the US in 2020. And so to me, it's all about oh, so many cool things and well, not cool things, so many different things that um, I think it's going to be a really compelling story. And same same idea too, is trying to get the, the aunties to send in as much of their footage as possible. And we'll do a few more formal interviews, but, you know, because we can't follow people around, right? We can't go and, like, shoot. I can't go shoot people in a normal way that I would making a documentary. Mm-hmm. So um, so we're going to do, like, these remote interviews, and then we'll also have the auntie send us their, their little clips they show, shoot on their phones, and it'll look great, just like it did for the other piece. <laughs> That's exciting. That's amazing that you're doing that. Yeah. So, um, you know, if anybody wants to be a benefactor or as an executive producer for the movie, please do contact me because I'm very happy to sew as many face masks as you want. Well, I'll give you a face mask if you were the executive producer, right? Or maybe two. Mm-hmm. Great. And you get your name at IMDb. Yeah. We'll do, we'll do crowdfunding later. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Valerie, I want to thank you so much. I don't know how much longer you can stay on or if you have to go. or Yeah. Um, I probably should go. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So let's just do it. Thank you so much for your time, Valerie. Pre- really appreciate you making the time to be on the podcast today. Yeah. Thank you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I cursed so much again. I don't know where that happens. <laughs> it's, Felicia brings it out of us. I know, we're right? Just, <laughs> uh, like, we're just raging. That? It's it's that Al- Andrew Dice Clay thing <laughs> that Felicia has about her uh, on the Talking Taiwan podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're gonna have to put those disclaimers again on. Uh, right it's a podcast i don't really censor people too much (laughs) (laughs) all right thank you so much to talk to you again yes thank you Uh, bye bye and christina you guys uh, there's even like a college course about you should i be talking to like the auntie grace you sure talk to grace you and shifra Teitelbaum is sort of teaching us i'm not sure to what extent but cal state uh la at a public health course I mean, what we're dealing with is like, is completely the intersection of art and public health. And I, Grace, I don't know, she's got her own little pyramid of legs, because like, I always see screenshots that are like, we taught the Claremont College kids today. And I'm like, whoa. And, um, and then we're, uh, I was asked to do a stitch and bitch with UMass Amherst. So, you know, there, it's definitely a lot of classes are interested in what we're doing, because it is an example of just sort of art and public practice and all this kind of stuff right now. And I I mean, I have never felt so close to this. I don't know if anyone else feels this close, but I get the, we just, we're still just going through some of the most unbelievable requests uh, for masks. Like the other day, someone who's here in LA, but is a member of a tribe in Alaska, they desperately need masks. There's this huge outbreak. Apparently masks were shipped up there, but are stuck in a holding facility because this town is so rural. So, a mutual aid group has figured out how to 
if we mail masks to this nonprofit, a little airplane will fly the masks over, you know? And, and it's like, wow, this is crazy that people have had, to, you know, the, the postal system is supposed to work, but it, it doesn't. And now we are the ones stepping in to try to band-aid it. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah. Can you talk about like some of the more like memorable or surprise oh. happened in this eight months? Um, I mean, one story that people love is we, uh, because it was so difficult to find fabric, there was a Lao temple in Richmond, California that donated monk robes that the monks weren't wearing anymore. I guess there are different ceremonies and stuff. So the, those are the saffron orange uh, monk robes. And um, that to me is one of those very interesting fabric stories because it comes from this temple, then it goes to the different aunties, then it gets sent to a farm or to a prison or, you know, just sort of this trajectory of, of what that fabric was intended for in terms of like protection and spirit and, and sort of how it continues that. Uh, I mean, it just, gosh, like there's so many of these communities we've supported during the fires um, I think what is remarkable about our network is we were like, let's send them some KN95s. Let's get water to them. We have one auntie located, uh, Auntie Laura in Napa, who was able to be, her home was able to be a hub where we shipped all the KN95s to. I basically walked to a place that sells ink, printer ink and medical supplies in my neighborhood, <laughs> mailed it over, right? And then her home becomes a hub. But that's, you know, that's the beauty of this sort of national network. Um, that actually was similar to um, a group that was taking our masks across the border to folks, to migrants who were seeking asylum in Tijuana, mm -hmm. is we were able to send the masks to an auntie in San Diego where they got picked mm -hmm. up locally. You know, so we just have these interesting sort of flight paths that don't make sense the way stuff that's manufactured in China and, you know, shoves up, shows up in a warehouse and ships out on Amazon Prime. Like, ours is such a different roundabout system of getting things around. And there's so many stories like that. We've received really amazing thank you letters that really touch us. Um, and I, I feel like it's been this uh, way for us to really connect to our politics of just beyond saying things like black lives matter or, you know, center BIPOC voices is like how we can actually put our labor behind those ideas and our politics in a, in a, in a very visceral physical way that we, that we can actually literally protect folks who are protesting for racial justice in the streets by sewing them masks that we can, we can send masks to children whose parents are incarcerated. We can like send masks to people who are undocumented and send. So, so I think if anything, that is, is what has felt really profound about this gesture of, uh, of doing this work. Right. Um, and in the beginning of all this, uh, when the pandemic hit and you, you started with a small gesture of sewing masks and offering for other people um, before that you were actually getting ready to tour your Christina Wong for public office show right? yes yes and and that tour was totally postponed but I managed to uh, with my director Diana Wyan restage it for my house mm -hmm. so it was a crazy October because one it was the month before the election so everyone was losing their minds mm -hmm. um, a lot of the aunties were sewing the way we supported Georgia and uh, getting out the vote is we actually sent a lot of masks to new Georgia project for those volunteers who were literally knocking on doors. Oh. And that was cool to see. We were able to get photos of that. That was really great. And we're still sending them masks um, for the volunteers who are getting out the vote in January. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I mean, I guess the, the upside of being publicly stressed out running a pretend FEMA um, is that a lot of people, uh, a lot of presenters were interested in booking my show uh, via Zoom <laughs> yeah. for their audiences. And so I, 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 you know, I lost a live tour, but I was still able to do about 10 shows from Zoom. So, so, and get, and, and then uh, Senator Theater Group uh, filmed it in their actual theater space. And it's streaming for 30 days up until November 29th. So, um, that felt like a blessing, but it also felt like this work with ass, basically. Um, the acronym for anti-sewing squad. Yes, it's ass. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if we needed to 
clarify that, but <laughs> is that like as a public official or as an elected official, like I, I serve and I lead in a specific way. And then Auntie Sewing Squad has been a very different way for me to put the leadership that I've been doing the last year and a half in my elected office, like in this different way and, and think about what it means to be a leader and what it means to, um, to really support communities and, and, and talk to other people who, are, who have been organizing long before there was COVID. Like I'm learning about all these organizations that were, you know, we're just here because of COVID, mm-hmm. right? We, we just sprung up, maybe we'll have a life after this. I don't know, but you know, my intention is that we're just here for the pandemic. But uh, yeah, these, what, what are, we're meeting all these amazing organizers who do this work mm-hmm. year round. Yeah, yeah. You know? uh, what kind of adjustments or changes did you have to make to your show, like the Christina Wong for Public Office show? Like, Not many. You know, the writing for the most part was the same. I, I, I shifted a few lines to acknowledge that we were in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. A lot of, um, I did have to shift uh, the interactive sections where I'm talking to a big crowd. So, so uh, there's a part where I would sort of reference a thing Elizabeth Warren would do at her rallies where she'd have people turn around and meet each other. Mm-hmm. And, um, but because no one's next to each other, you know, at home, like we, they would all take a poll on Zoom instead. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a part where I ask people to place their orders and tell me what they want me to serve them as a public servant. And in a live theater setting, it's everyone screaming at me. Um, and then I get really stressed out. So we had to unmute all the, uh, you know, mics at home and everyone's screaming that way. So it, it oddly didn't feel so weird after I watched like SNL do their mm-hmm. show from the actors' homes. And, and, and I think it actually feels more intimate when you see the person's house. And I think the, the, the ticket with making theater at home is not to try to like clear out your house so it looks like a neutral black box but it's like let the details from your house like the mess the dirty dishes you know the family photos on the shelf like let that all be the backdrop just let it be what it is yeah that's reality yeah Yeah. great um and so what would you what would you say you've learned like or what would you offer to other people who are trying to run a community or like some kind of community-based organization because I'm sure you well I, I mean I guess what makes us different is we're not we 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 have to f- categorize ourselves on Facebook as a charitable organization because they don't have a category called collective mm. or like <laughs> mutual aid or um, but I think you know so much of what has preserved us in this time that is so uncertain and so scary is being generous and giving into that energy of being generous um, is is versus being frightened and afraid and scared and panicked and wanting to hold on to the $5 in your pocket. Um, it's a very different energy to, to, to give. It's, it, and it does feel like a privilege for a lot of folks to be able to give, right? But I think when I see that aunties continue to do this, even though you can buy really cheap masks from Mexico or whatever, I, I think that this has this building of community has really proven how important this is. So, so I think when you're building an organization it's not just getting labor and checking it off but but really tapping into the sense of caring for your volunteers or caring for the people who are doing the labor um and and uh and really thinking of of how the community volunteers is its own community right and that it can't just be like oh my god frantic friend like you know i guess when they're like trying to get what few people they could off the Titanic onto the life rafts. They weren't like, Oh, tell me about your favorite meal growing up. Like they don't (laughs) tell me how you learned to sew. But I think, you know, once you get out of that complete panic mentality and and sort of bond with each other, I think there's a lot of beauty in that. And I definitely think that's something that comes out of theater. Um, Like sometimes like no one will come to your theater show, but the cast is so close from the process of making it like that to me is so much what it's about. It's, it's not necessarily about uh, numbers or who's on the other end, but, but this non-quantifiable love and care you feel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's something I would like to urge people to think about right. when you're doing these things. Um, and can you talk a little bit about the um, uh, kids sewing camp or the child labor camp? <laughs> yes. I, when I would always go, our child labor camp, oops, I mean our kids summer 
sewing camp. Um, that grew out of a joke that I made at the top of the summer when everyone, all the parents on my feed were freaking out that they were like, oh my God, our summer camp still charged us or what are we going to have our kid do all summer? And I was just like, you can teach him to sew. I'll, I run a great sewing camp. And I was joking. I'll teach your kid how to do the government's job and how fun manual labor can be. And so many parents are like, are you actually serious? Cause I would sign my child up for that in a heartbeat. And, um, and Cindy Wong Brandt who has a parenting forward podcast and she lives in Taiwan. Um, she's like, I'll, I'll produce it. I'll sponsor it. And, and so we were able to, um, give an honorarium to one of her aunties, uh, to, to teach it. And uh, she got a lot of her parents um, who listen to her podcast to tune in. And then we advertised it. We did two four-week rounds of it. And it was so cute. Like to see kids working sewing machines and <laughs> sewing. And, <laughs> and we built in like a career day. Because, you know, like this is, it's like you can't call it a stitch and bitch for children. But, um, <laughs> but basically, like once you get the action of sewing – you usually just want to talk and stuff, right? So we have different like aunties and uncles. Like so, one uh, one of the kids' parents was a doctor and talked to us about the virus and what it's been like to be in the hospital in Indiana, where they live. And then our other auntie Sharon, who works on as a public radio reporter uh, and also sews, did a show and tell of her very first tiny sewing machine and answered questions about what it's like to be a reporter. It's like, it was so cute, right? Like it was totally like, yeah. So we would always have like the lesson and then like someone would come talk once they kind of got the hang of the stitching or the cutting or whatever. So it was really cute. And then uh, Auntie Gina, who's the teacher, her daughter, Annabelle did a, like a kids talking to kids kind of thing for the fourth round so I, I i think it's like you know we did what we could um for an unlicensed summer school <laughs> and stuff but you know i i i felt like it's just funny it was just so funny that i was like this has gotten so big and strange i can't believe this i cannot i still can't believe this is this pandemic is yeah gr- this whole situation went from like a casual facebook group to now we have like arms with educational arms yeah <laughs> well kudos to you and all the aunties yeah they're great well thank you so much i want to thank you for uh, t- thank you for coming back and circling back i've been speaking with christina wong and valerie so about the anti-sewing squad remember you heard it here first valerie broke the news to christina right on this podcast that a full-length documentary about the anti-sewing squad is now in the works To learn more about the Anti-Sewing Squad and any links related to items mentioned in this episode, visit our website, TalkingTaiwan.com. If you enjoyed this episode of Talking Taiwan, please take the time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lin. Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com.